0: We're going to be in Acts 26. Um, you don't have to go to the first Peter verse. Probably most of you got it memorized. Is that right? Just one? You want to come up and recite it? <laughs> no, just kidding. Okay, so Acts 26. Uh, My name is uh, Jim Mortarelli, and uh I'm from Florida. My son Luke goes here. I think he comes to the night services more. So this would be his uh, his group of people. His wife's name's Amber. They're in Italy now. Anybody know him? Anybody ever meet Luke? I've been married 33 years. My wife's Lane in, uh, in uh, Palm Bay, Florida. My little granddaughter Jillian was uh, dedicated today. So uh, the Lord's doing amazing things in my life. And uh, tonight I want to... Uh, kind of share my testimony personally and mix it in with Paul's testimony which is the last one that he, he did um, in the book of Acts. He does three testimonies uh, and a half of one but this one he has a little more memory of. He's had two years to think about it because he's been in a cell in a place called Caesarea. Anyway I'm 59 years old and I, I you know I really like Regen Church and I believe that when my family comes here it's uh it's really special, and uh, I, I believe that the Lord's calling me here. So uh, I'm a painting and wallpaper guy. I remodeled uh, a few houses in this area, and there's plenty of work for me, Not in Florida. So I might be out here for a while. Um, you may have noticed that uh, I have a speech impediment. <laughs> Last uh, December, I broke my wrist, and uh, I was painting a house, and I fell accidentally off a scaffold. So as an Italian, uh, that is a, uh, a handicap if you know what I mean. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In fact, my uh, Sunday school, not my Sunday school, my math teacher in eighth grade said to me, Jimmy, if you sit on your hands, you can't speak. So uh, if I don't finish my sentences totally, you'll know why. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are so thankful, Lord, that you've given us an opportunity again to hear your word, that you be exalted in this place and in our midst. Uh, Praise to you, Father. And we give you... uh, all the words of my mouth and all the meditations of my heart, I ask that the Lord Jesus would just fill this place with his forgiveness, that we would know that his sacrifice is true and on our behalf, that the Holy Spirit would uh, open every ear to be obedient and hear the message about repentance and salvation, true salvation, for humility. Ask for the hearers to have ears to hear, hearts to obey, and the courage to live in the freedom that your spirit provides in Jesus' name. All right, let's start out, all right? What's tes- what is a What is a testimony? I could ask questions. You know, I'm used to teaching men's groups where uh, you interact. You ask a question, and there's, oh, that, yeah, yeah. here, I'm going to have to define it for you because nobody's going to really speak up here, are they? So, what is a Webster says that it's the authentication of a fact? That's what a, um, a testimony is. When I was growing up, there was a TV show called Perry Mason. And in Perry Mason, uh, the lawyer, he was out for nine, ten years and Raymond Burr, I was the actor, and uh, never lost the case. I mean, he won every week. He was a defense attorney. He'd always find a witness to come up on the stand, put their hand on the Bible, uh, put their right hand on the Bible, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? So help me God. And uh, they would get on the stand, and they would give a testimony, and it was verified as true, right? Because in those days, the Bible had authority. Um, it has authority still, and it has more authority than anything here on earth. Jesus Christ said that in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. Uh, all authority has been given to him. But in, other, in, in, in essence, um, when you're giving a testimony or witness, it, it's true because based on, uh, in those days, the Bible. The word is actually in the Greek, mysterion. I'm sorry, not mysterion, Martyrion. I'm going to slow down because I have a lot of information inside me, and I'm trying to put together a special message for this group. This morning when I, I gave a lot of my testimony. But this is a different type of group. I don't see any kids at all. We're very different in here. Um, I want you to do something for me, and uh, we'll we'll do this in a second. The best biblical definition is uh, 1 Peter 3.15. I'm going to read that for you again. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. So a testimony is not only uh, establishing a reasonable fact, but it gives uh, a reason for the hope that you have in you. And what does hope mean? Well, hope is when you go into the job interview and you think you did pretty good. So you come out and you have a little hope. Hope is when you try to take a test, right? You're, some of you guys in college, are you out of college? I you guess your job interviews may be uh, not something that uh, hits home for you either. You might be very settled in your jobs, right? But there's hope, for instance, in my life when I drove cross-country. I've been painting for 30, uh, 40 years, and I've always had a job. I have fixed their houses up, and there's always been new construction, and Florida is fabulous for that. But uh, the last three years, the economy has tanked, in the housing market especially. So last year, my son Luke said, come out to California. So I said, sure, he got me some jobs. The jobs, the money was actually pretty good. But I drove five days. Saw various people, various friends, and the reason I drove is because I have hope. And the hope is because I know God's word. God's word says in Matthew 6.33 that if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that all these things will be given to you. And I believe that in my heart. So anyway, having a testimony is knowing that the person that gave his word is going to keep his word. i just throw this in because some of you are, are uh, couples. Uh, you know what a date night is, okay? Uh, doesn't that give you hope when you're going to have a date night? I mean, it might not be for the guy as much because he's got to remember, but there's a hope in there for, the, for my wife especially if I say, let's go to a movie this Friday. Let's have dinner. So that's what hope is, and it's knowing that the person that gave it is going to keep his word, and God keeps his word. It's to authenticate the facts, validate the hopes. A testimony is a confident recital the hope that is in you. Now, who has a testimony? Um, all right, let's do it this way. This morning I did it a different way. Let's try it this way. All right, how shy are you? Can you do this for me? Look around. Go north, south, east, and west. Look at the people. Look at the faces. Tell me what you see. All right, what you see is... In Oakland, at uh, this particular time, uh even this is a Oakland count in this area. That, uh, as I said, there's not a lot of rain, but we have all different educations here. Some of us are some of maybe elementary, some have middle some of us are you know, of us are, poor, of us are having trouble in every way. Some of us are the uh, Bible. Through the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the love of Jesus Christ, we've been. And again, we've been saved. We've been placed into the body of Christ. And as such, we all have a testimony. A testimony, in my case, as it is in your case, is it's unique. It's going to be to your specific personality. The things that you remember when you're five, six, seven, you're going to see this tonight in the book of Acts. All of that matters in your testimony. All right, now I'm going to do some scriptures, and I think this'll, um, this will help 9 to 12. If we receive the testimony of men... The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. God the son has a testimony. 1 Timothy chapter 2. There's one God. And there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. The testimony given at the proper time. His death on the cross is a testimony. And the Holy Spirit has a testimony. That's us. That's you and me. Anyone that's filled with the Holy Spirit. He has a testimony through the church. In Acts chapter 26, we have a pattern for a testimony. But so what are the ingredients? The seven parts or keys to a good testimony. Paul's testimony was given in 60 A.D. before King Herod Agrippa. Another politician named Festus and his sister, who was his wife, incestuously. And this is broken up into seven keys. I'll give you the seven keys up front. There's the person that you talk to. This would be people, or the person that you talk to. There's the permission that you get to speak. The preparation of God, presentation of Jesus Christ, plan of God, passion of Paul, and the prayer of Paul. They're all going to start with P. That'll help you remember. Helps me remember too. First, let's start with the scene. Picture this, okay? Agrippa is the king. And he's been asked by Festus to come and judge this man, Paul. And on the one side, you have the Jews who have come to accuse him. You have these great Corinthian columns and you've got a podium that's built by Caesar the Great games and for speeches. So it's a fairly big auditorium. And then the politicians come in, which is Felix and King Agrippa and Bernice and all their commanders. You can read that in verse 23 of chapter uh, 25. Festus said, King Agrippa, uh, sorry. and so the next day when Agrippa came together with Bernice in great pomp and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So you have the accusers, the politicians, and then you bring in Paul. You no, know, I don't want to. Excuse me. Paul is described in this way. Can you picture what I'm talking about here? Politicians and the Jewish people, chief priests and the elders. Paul's brought in. And what does he look like? Paul's a man of little stature. He has thin hair on his head. He's crooked in his legs. He has a good state of body. He has eyebrows that join. His nose is somewhat crooked, and and this Bible dictionary says he's full of grace. He's just your average (laughs) average 60-year-old Jewish rabbi terrorist. he's in chains, and he's the criminal. All right, let's see what happens. Agrippa, Acts chapter 26, verses 1 to 3. He's the person that Paul's going to testify to. Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I'm about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all the customs and the questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. King Agrippa is a, is a ruthless man. Historically, he's the fourth generation after Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one in uh, Matthew chapter 2 that um, killed all the babies when Jesus was born. Remember that story? His father, Herod Agrippa I, is in Acts chapter 12. He's the one that beheaded James, James and John. James was the first martyr of the church. His father was giving a speech and uh, God struck him dead. That's Acts chapter 12. And it took four days, according to Josephus. But his uh, body was eaten by worms. His great grandfather was murdered by his great great grandfather. Herod killed three of his sons and his wife. So uh, Agrippa comes from a family that uh, has been in charge of the Jewish nation for years. It's the uh, it's, it's what happens when uh, to me a government has more authority than church or the body of Christ, or in this case, the Jewish nation. Anyway, he knew the Jewish culture. He knew the customs. He knew the Bible stories. He probably knew Jesus. He was given the right, as a highest government official, to... Pick the chief priests even, of, the, of the Jews. But I think Paul's main attention when he came in, and you got to picture him. He's kind of short and balding, and, he, and he's walking in with chains. And he stands in front of King Agrippa, and uh, he sees his accusers, and he has to make a testimony. And we want to tell our story to a person or people that God has ordained for us to speak to. So you pray for, for timing, and that'll happen. And what shows you that you have timing is what's in verse 1. You're permitted to speak. Paul was permitted to speak, and if you remember in First Peter, uh, the first verse we, le- we read, it says, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you, all right? You know, and then there's questions today. I, I know um, you know, when I was a kid, and I'm sure some of you still have questions. I mean, we're not all, we don't all know it all yet, do we? But uh, we want to know what the meaning of life is. We want to know why we've got children sometimes that ask us very cool questions i've got a little grandson uh, aiden now he's 2 and uh, you know i miss him greatly uh, he he, uh, he walk around our lake and he and he runs you just say aiden you want to run and he'll just start running he'll just start running he won't stop running but uh, you know i'm at an age and a place in life where um, there's another generation to teach because uh, I have three children now, and they're all grown. Um, but these kinds of questions uh, happen to me in my life. And uh, um, when people are um, uh, coming to you, what do you say? Do you have a smile on your face? I mean, uh, Jesus Christ has given us uh, the spirit of joy, hasn't he? One of the fruits of the spirit is joy. So if people come up to you and say, gee, how come you're not worried about your job? How come you're not, you know, what makes you so happy? What's, well, y- you should have an answer, just like it says in First Peter, and you should tell them in... Uh, respectfully and, and enjoy. In 1980, when I was uh, first saved, um, I had a friend uh, that worked for me. He taught me how to do wallpaper. I, I do wallpaper. And it's because of Steve. Steve uh, and, uh, and it was a disco singer. And he, uh, We worked in a, uh, a hospital. I got a job that remodeled the hospital. And uh, at nights, he would be a disco singer. And his wife, we went to the wedding. You know, it was, it, we have very good friends. and um, he, We worked together. So in the morning, he'd get to the hospital early. And he'd take the microphone in the cafeteria and he'd start singing, some kind of songs. And I'd come in and and we'd start working the day. Well, I get saved right in October. And I go in and, of course, I want to tell Steve, do you remember those days when you first knew that you were saved? I mean, it was pretty dramatic for me. I come out of a Roman Catholic background when you never knew you are going to heaven. Um, and it was all works, and very religious, and my mom was parochial and so forth. But uh, I said, Steve, you, you, you know, I, I got, you know, met the Lord, You I prayed this prayer. And, uh, did you know that Stephen was the first martyr in the Bible, and that's your name, and you know, something like that? And I said, you need to pray this prayer and, get to, and, and know you're going to heaven. So Steve, you know, prayed. But, um... That was a little over anxious because uh, you know a couple of weeks later I go you know Steve I don't think it took <laughs> so I asked him to pray again. But uh, in the early days when I was witnessing when I was giving my testimony I didn't get permission a lot of times I just kind of winged it. But, uh, in this particular case. Um, you want to know that that God is, is, uh, has got the timing right. So uh, not only is there a person to talk to, but you, you get their permission, or, you know, have the conversation like tonight. It's been ordained for me to speak tonight, right? It was given to me by permission, Albert and, and the Regen. This morning, the same way, to a group of people. But sometimes it's to an individual. And you go through that experience. It's just telling someone your story. And the third thing, once you know you've got timing, is the preparation of of God. God's going to prepare you to talk to the person that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. All right, let's read that. Verse 4, 26-4. So then, all Jews know my manner of life from my youth on up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time, if they're willing to testify, which is a dig at the the Jewish uh, chief priests that actually sent him, taught him, that I have lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion, and now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hope as they earnestly serve God day and night. And for this hope, O God, I am accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God should raise the dead? Ah, testimony is continuity of life. It's part of who you are. The education that Paul received from Pharisees, he's pointing out their hypocrisy because even in their own law, they have um, verses that talk about a resurrection. If you read Philippians Chapter 3, this is who Paul is, and he's the one that's on trial. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Hebrew of Hebrews also, according to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness, which is in the law, I'm blameless. So he's under the law of the Pharisees. law of the Pharisees, should should I say that Sadducees again? Sadducees and the Pharisees interpret the law different. And, uh the uh, the Pharisees knew and believed and taught that there was a resurrection but the Sadducees were Sadducee because they didn't believe in a resurrection anyway the Pharisees believed in a resurrection Paul's a Pharisee and he's saying how is it so difficult for you to believe that there's a resurrection which is what I'm telling you and that's what you teach in your law that's what you teach James chapter 12 says that there's going to be a resurrection from the dust of the earth the righteous the unrighteous you know even the 23rd psalm which most people know that the Lord is my shepherd. I said the very last verse says, "And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." There's a there's a, a, a thought in the Old Testament that brings about eternal life. So these guys um, they went crazy basically, and they you know they chased him uh, you know uh, throughout the um, uh, the time that he came back to Jerusalem after his third uh, missionary journey, and tried to kill him, tried to arrest him. Uh, this is what they did. Uh, in 25:2, the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul and were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul. This is they were talking to Festus, trying to get him to go back to Jerusalem for the trial, and then, as it says in verse three, they were going to set an ambush for him and kill him along the way. So Festus said, well, I'll ask Paul. Paul, do you want to go back to Jerusalem for your trial? Here I am, he's in Caesarea, the capital city, and Paul knows these Jewish people want to kill him. He says, no, I'm appealing to Caesar. I want to go because I'm a Roman citizen. I don't want to go to Jerusalem. I want to go to Caesar. So now this is why he's in front of King Agrippa because Festus doesn't know what kind of charge to bring against Paul because there's nothing wrong. He can't find any charges. So he puts him in front of King Agrippa, thinking that Agrippa will find something that he can write on that when he sends him to Caesar. So Paul starts out, In his youth. And uh, when those questions pop up in our life, why am I here? We come at it the same way. I know I did. You know, I studied religions. I got involved in various things. I'm wondering who I am uh, and why am I here and what's my uh, purpose in life. And I looked at the crosses and the Catholic Church and the crucified Lord. And I thought, well, that's just a story. It's just a fable. That's just a statue. And I went to um, college um, with not a very secure um, thought process and what was, you know, life about. And Paul hits home to me with that question, well, how is it so hard for people to believe in the resurrection? You know, when you learn about it your whole life, you see the crucified Christ, you think, you know, you mean he rose from the dead. I, do I really think that happened? Did I really think there was a flood? You know, I was going into a direction, can uh, we come from two people? You no, know, that's, that's, you know, so you start the question, you know, everybody was through this, you know, but Preparation of God begins with these types of questions because God's preparing your heart. All right, God wants you to ask those questions. No matter what age you are, you come to that realization. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity into the hearts of all men. So everyone knows there's eternal life. Everyone knows in their heart they're going to live after they die. So we seek God. We seek answers to questions. Was I created? (laughs) Was I created? Was I just an accident? What about reincarnation? Is that true? These are deep questions. Who came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, those are deep questions. I'm just kidding. God's preparation. All right, this is the sad part because you're going to know the gospel at some point in your life. And in my case, and in Paul's case, he rejected it. Paul became someone that he didn't want to be, and I became somebody I didn't want to be. Let's continue. So then, verse 9, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, And this is what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also, when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them, often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being thoroughly enraged at them, I kept pursuing them, even to foreign cities. While so enraged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. Okay, and stop there. So now he brings in the chief priest twice, and he says, "By their commission, I became more evil. I became more treacherous. I became a terrorist because they said this cult of Christians need to be destroyed, and I believed it. I rejected the resurrection. But when you reject the obvious, certain things happen." As they happened to Paul, they happened to me. I'm just going to go to two of them. You get worse. You start to persecute the church. What does God do? Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their heart, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Romans chapter 1, God gives them over. He lets you go. You know Romans chapter 1 and what it says in there. God gives them over to degrading passions. You know what it says there. Men and over to degrading passions, and God let them go. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. You reject the resurrection, you reject God, God doesn't, you know, He he lets you go. But also, Romans chapter 2, What if you never heard the gospel? What if you never heard about Christ? Isn't that a question people ask? What about the guy in Africa that never, you know, you always get that question and it stumps everybody. It probably stumps some of you. It stumps me sometimes. But listen to Romans chapter two. When the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. In that, they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing them witness, and their thoughts alternatingly accusing we defending them. They already have the knowledge of good and evil in their hearts. Everyone does. Why? Because if the Bible's true, Adam and Eve got the knowledge of good and evil, didn't they? Everyone has that. It's the sin nature. So even if they never heard about Christ, they know right from wrong. God judges on that. Rejecting Jesus makes people worse, not better. So I left home. I went back to Penn State. You know, I got a five-year degree in engineering and business management. Get out of college, and there's no God. Time magazine said there was no God, 1968, 1969. You remember that? So I uh, try to find my own life. I go into drugs, I find marijuana, I find acid, and then, uh, we had fun, Though we had fun. Ended up uh, living in Boston because I thought, well, that's the intellectual center of the Northeast, I'll live around Harvard. I did. I worked at Parker House and uh, hung out at Harvard. Got into sexual freedom, my morals started to collapse. I was trying transcendental meditation. I went to uh, New Haven, Connecticut. I lived there for two years, uh, trying to. You know, I had a good job. I had two big businesses from New York City. Uh, I can't go into the whole story, but uh, they gave me two businesses to run in advertising in, in New Haven, Connecticut. I had the whole coast from New York to New York uh, to New York City to give the high school uh, and college's book covers. And, uh, you know, I had my own TV Facts magazine. So I had a chance to make a lot of money, and I thought that would do it. I went to Yale, and I and I, got, I brought some flowers, and I put them before the guru, and I said, uh, give me a mantra. You know it was toughest for me? Giving up pot for two weeks. Eventually, it all fall up, fell apart, and I ended up on a street corner in New Jersey in the middle of winter, living in a flop house with no money, selling door-to-door encyclopedias five years after college. I was, I was, de- I was devastated, you know. I, I thought I could... Uh, I thought I knew what was best for me. I didn't need a God. And I literally, literally, I cried. I, I cried. And I said I needed help. And I can relate to Paul. Because here he is, killing people, you know, persecuting people. Let me say this. God's preparation of a soul is to bring him to a point of need. God's preparation for a soul is to bring him to a point of need. So you have a person to hear. You get permission to speak. You get the preparation of God And then God presents to you Jesus. And in Paul's case, it's dramatic. So back to Acts. I was in Romans, you probably didn't go there. But back to Acts, If if you look what happened at the very next verse, 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me, brighter than the sun. And those who were journeying with me for well, the, sun, the sun is shining all around him and his compa- companions. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, do you know what goads are? I heard a good illustration of that. Good illustration from Bob Coy at Calvary Chapel down in Fort Lauderdale. Kicking against the goads is what an ox would do. You know, he'd, he'd be walking along and he'd kick and he'd hit spikes, and it would make him go forward, and he'd kick, and he'd go forward, right? So it made the, you know, Paul was doing that. Paul was, oh, you know, I think I'm helping, but, I'm you know, I'm trying to go backwards. Well, the illustration that Bob used was of an eagle. The eagle comes down, he swoops down, and he gets the, the mouse or the rat, and he, he's going to bring it home. And as he's going home, the rat knows he's going to die, so he sticks his claws into the eagle. And the eagle thinks he's flying and he's soaring and yet he's bleeding and he's going down. And that's what Paul's doing. He's thinking he's doing what's right, but he's not doing what's right. And, and, and some of us are that way. I, you know, we think we're going in the right direction. And, and, and what happens? You need an experience. You need a presentation of Jesus. And, and Paul says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet for this purpose. Uh, This is interesting because in the other two accounts, you get Paul seeing Jesus, and it immediately says, go and enter Damascus, you'll see a man, blah, 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 and tell the story of Ananias and how he got his sight back because of the scales. But he's had two years to be in prison, and he's uh, thought about this, and now he's remembering more about that experience with Jesus. And from here on, it says, from the time he stood up, he says, "Get get up, stand on your feet. This is something that is not in the other testimonies. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you and to appoint you a minister and a witness not only of the things which you have seen but also of the things to which I will appear to you rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inherit inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. This is a direct revelation from God. God appeared, I'm going to say this too, because I didn't say this this morning, but you know, God appeared to Paul. And everybody thinks, oh, that's a great testimony. God, I wish you would appear to me. You know? And God appeared to Thomas, didn't he? And yet, until he appeared, he doubted, right? I'm just thinking, what if Thomas never got that appearance from Jesus? Would he have turned into a persecutor of the Jews too? I mean, why is the appearance? You know, I say this only because there's some people that think i got to have a great testimony. I can't be a testimony like that person. I just was born in a Christian background and, and so forth. But the, the word says that when Jesus says blessed, uh, you, you, you believe because you see. You're blessed are those who believe and they haven't seen. And that's us. It's you and me. There's a blessing there for us. I was um, hit by this need when I was on this rock in New Jersey and I was praying and crying. And... Um, what happens is when God wants to reach you, he uses, usually uses somebody you trust. And uh, I'll prove it to you. Let's just take a little poll here. How many people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ because they were watching a television show and there the preacher said um, the gospel and, and pray this prayer? Can I see your hand real quick? Um, how many people got a tract when they were walking through a grocery store or an airport and they sat down and they read the track and it came to the prayer and you prayed that prayer and you got saved that way? Anybody? How many people had a person actually talk to them and tell them the gospel and invite them to church? Okay? This is what I'm saying, that each person that comes to Christ comes through another person. It's the way Christ is presented. God chooses to use us. The, the, the fourth part of any testimony that you're giving uh, to another person is, is that you want to tell them how you received Christ. And In my case, I came to Christ to a man named Tim Henning in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. <sighs> Let's see how much of this I want to tell. All right, I'm sitting on the rock in Passaic, New Jersey. I call my dad. I say, Dad, he says, come on home, Jimmy. So my, my boss gives me 50 bucks. I'm selling door-to-door encyclopedias. I'm a mess. I drive home to Syracuse. I get a job selling keyboards in a mall. I get a phone call one night. My mom and dad and I, were going to sit down in front and watch The Godfather Part 1 and 2 together, all in one night. So I, I'm ready, and I really want to see both back-to-back. And the phone rings, and... Uh, this is in 1977, November 12th, 1977. I have to celebrate it because it's an anniversary. You know, you guys, you know, you have a wife. If you have a wife, it's the day you got married and the day you met, or something like that. So this is one of those days. She calls me up. My wife, my mother goes, you know anybody named Lane? I go, Lane, I knew Lane in college. We were good friends in college. And we were, we were, we were very good friends and she moved to Florida. She's on the phone, really. So I go to the phone, uh, "Hey," she goes, are you married yet? <laughs> I said, no, she goes, well, my my girlfriend and I are broken down in Whitney Point, and um, you pick us up, so um, I got a Datsun B210, a a 77, it's a little hatchback, and I drive down in the middle of a blizzard, you know Syracuse, New York, which is where I'm from, I moved back to Syracuse, New York, piles of snow, Yeah, files, and it's November 12th, so you know it starts early. And I drive down to Whitney Point, and uh, she comes through this snowstorm, and we get a big kiss, she's got this long coat on, and I take her back to Syracuse, and Candy occupies my mom, and things go to things. She goes back to Pittsburgh, where she's from. She's got the van fixed, right? Well, about two months later, Um, I get a phone call, and she says, uh, I'm pregnant. Will you pay for the abortion? I said, this is exactly what happened. I said, uh, no, come on up. Don't kill the baby. Come on up. We'll, we'll, you know, you, we'll, we'll raise a baby. We'll have a baby. So, uh, but the thought that went through my head is when I went through these down times when I was meeting my, having my preparation to meet Jesus, I was living in New Haven, Connecticut. And I was on the seventh floor of a high-rise, and I was making very good money. They were sending me in various cities of the country selling franchises. Back then, franchises were big. I had two businesses going around the country selling franchises at $7,500 a pop. I had just finished three, four sales in Ottawa, Canada, or you know, New London, Canada, and made, a, made some money. And um, I, I'm making friends with a lot of influential people. There's a knock at the door, and this Tommy's girlfriend next door comes over, and Miriam, and she sits in front of me. And I'm, I had glasses back then, so I'm can't hardly see her, and she tells me she's pregnant. And she didn't know what to do. I said, gee, I don't know. So I didn't know what to do. I told her I'd meet her down at Toad's Place. That's a place near Yale that uh, she was a waitress there, and I helped with their advertising. And told her I'd meet her there, um, you know. The next day so um i'm praying and i'm sleeping that night and i'm, I'm going it's going to happen lord you know a woman has a baby in her womb can uh, she think it out of her womb she she can't think it out of her womb. womb she has to have someone else kill that baby and I, I said you can't kill the baby and boom a drop of water falls on my head and that rolls in my eye and i was scared i didn't even want to open my eyes and i said um what does that mean Quit my job i, I could, long story short you know, I met Miriam the next day and uh, she introduced me to, you know, went through all this spiritual weird stuff. Ended up leaving the apartment, quitting my jobs. And um, so when Lane told me that she was pregnant. And I said, don't kill the baby. That's the thought that went through my head. But so she comes up to live with me and Luke is born. Luke's the one in this fellowship. And a few months later, we moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And her um, brother is living in Hawaii and he's in the Navy. And by this time, I'm into Edgar Casey readings and transcendental meditation. My sister's following the Guhu Maharaji, the little chubby guy. And my brother comes down and he's an Ekin car. And this is all soul travel on sound planes. And, you know, and we're searching, really. I'm in the Catholic thing and she's in the Lutheran thing. And, and I said, you know, uh, let's become Catholics. Let's get married Catholic. My mom will like that. So um, her brother writes us a letter, and he says, you're doing transcendental meditation. He sends us a book called Transcendental Hesitation. He says he got saved. You know, and I, and my, and I said, that's just another kick. Your brother was into Frank Zappa. What does he know, right? <laughs> so uh, God would have it that this boat left uh, Hawaii. It was going to Norfolk, Virginia, and it stopped in Fort Lauderdale. Twenty guys get off the boat, and... Uh, they start talking about the Lord, start talking about Paul. And I go, how do you know so much about the Bible? And, well, we read the Bible. Really? Well, you know, of course, I think I read the Bible. And I said, yeah, I think I read the Bible. And, you uh, know, but I was amazed at their joy and, and how they were reacting, right? So the next day, Bobby goes on a, on a bike ride. And uh, he finds this little school in Plantation, Florida. And uh, there's a man in there that's teaching the Bible and invites uh, us. And Lane said, She go with her brother, but we were going to go to Catholic Church. She said, I'll go with you. He said, N-, I said, no, I'll go with you to hear this guy. So we took little Luke and he's, you know, he's young. This is 1980. So he's uh, just turned two. We get into the, um, and he's playing the trombone. And he's writing songs and, you know, singing uh, hymns uh, and uh, preaching the book of Revelation. And he's He's writing. Uh, people are taking notes. So I thought, you yeah, know, I could go here. You know, it's uh, I'd like to learn. You know, so every week we'd go. And he gets to the point in the book of Revelation, and he starts talking about the rapture. That night he's going to come over for dinner. And uh, his boy Joshua was the same age as Luke, and uh, we have a good age, you know. And I trust him. That's the point as well, too. I, I trust him. So um, I go, Tim. You know, if, if uh, Jesus came back today, I don't think I'd go. And he goes, Well, let me let me explain how you know you can go. And I, and I said, I didn't know I could I could know that. And because uh, you know, as a Catholic, you don't know. You have the the works. You know, I'm a better, and you go to purgatory. But um, I, he says there's three types of faith taught in the Bible. And I said, I didn't know that. He says, Yes, yes. There's intellectual faith, temporal faith and saving faith. And, uh, you know, I'm Italian, so I'm saying it more dramatic. He was a little more reserved, so, you know. But as he's saying it, I was listening, and uh, he said intellectual faith is when you believe Jesus came and died and rose again and you know all the facts of history. And I said, well, I believe that. He says, well, good, that's intellectual faith. He says, well, you know, God takes care of you and, and all your needs are met. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I know that. I drove cross-country in 76. I, knew, I had no money, and I made it back and forth in a month, and it was, you know, I believe God would take care of me. He says, well, good, that's temporal faith. Then he says, you know, there's something called saving faith. And I didn't know that. And he takes me to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And then he read it out loud and it was amazing. He says, it says, um, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's a gift from God, not by works. A sunny man should boast. It's a great verse. You guys know that verse? Yes, I see some heads nodding. That changed my life. I looked at my wife. I said, I never heard that before. It's not by works. It's a gift. And he said, yes, absolutely. And I said, let's pray. So my wife and I prayed on the same day in October 20th, 1980. And it was a miracle. I'm here to testify that it was a miracle. Jesus is presented to you as well. In some way, Jesus was presented to you. Is that true? Christianity is discovery of a person. It's because of a person, one life touching another. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, it says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these things to faithful men who are able to teach others. There's generations and generations and generations. Can I just say something? I think it's impolite to talk. When someone else is trying to talk, I think it distracts other people. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit wants your attention, you might point out things to the speaker. i just ask your patience as I'm speaking here today. Faithful people telling people the gospel. lesson is here that you have to have it from someone you trust. Do you agree with that? Personal presentation of Jesus. Look at the words Paul remembers Jesus saying, You've been called for a purpose. Verse 18. I'm sorry. Verse 16. I appoint you as a minister, a witness, not only of the things that you have seen, but also of the things that I will appear to you. I'm going to rescue you from your enemies, the Jewish people and the Gentiles that are trying to hurt you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. They may re- receive forgiveness of sins. Look at those words. Those are, that's our commission too. To tell people about the forgiveness of sins, when you come to Christ, everything changes. I'm going to present something now that I think is uh, is interesting. It wasn't in this morning's sermon. I'm just going to. I don't think it'll take that long. Try and time it so it's only a couple of minutes. I think it fits here. So these are the verses of the Bible, and I'll just read them to you. It says, "If any man is in Christ, he becomes a new creature." You know that verse, Second Corinthians. Do you want to turn to these verses? You know, I'm I'm okay with turning Bibles. If you if you guys want to hear the a Bible study, you want to turn Second Corinthians five seventeen. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Second Corinthians. I'm going to read that out of New King James because I like how this one reads. Second Corinthians, chapter three, verse seventeen and eighteen. Now the now the Lord is the Spirit. Let's see if you get this. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. Everybody loves that. I love that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding in the mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit, the Lord. In this verse, you have the combination of sanctification and obedience. I've often thought about how that can be. How can the Holy Spirit sanctify you, make you holy? And yet we're called upon to obey. There's a, there's a free will and there's a sovereignty. Now, what, what hit me today as I was studying this, because I wanted another verse that says we're, being, we're a new creation. Old things pass away, new things come. This verse says that you're being transformed glory to glory. But what are you looking at? You're looking into the mirror and you see the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. Huh? We all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Where else do you look in the mirror in in the Bible and you're told to change? Well, it's James, right? The book of James. Here you're looking at the word of God. There you're looking at Jesus Christ, the the glory of Jesus. Let me read James. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of freedom, same analogy, and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Interesting, because everybody says, be a doer of the word, which is verse 22. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. He goes on by saying, when you look at the word, when you look at the word of God, you look at the word of God, it changes you if you continue in the work. And then it talks about what pure religion is. These are the work that you do. What is the work you do? You take care of widows and orphans. People, you know widows? You have some friends that are women without husbands? You have children that you know that don't have parents? That's pure religion. That's the work, doer of the work. And what else? Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Now I'm going to put that together because I feel like this is something that I've learned today. and I I don't know if it helps you, but it helped me. Billy Graham, let me tell you how he came to the Lord in 1854, there was a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball, and he led an 18-year-old Dwight Moody to Jesus Christ in the early 1870s, who helped another 18-year-old man named Fred Meyer, F.B. Meyer, to know Jesus, who met Wilbur Chapman through a YMCA encounter, because that was just starting out, who led him to Billy Sunday, who helped in the ministry and led uh, a man named Mordecai Ham to Jesus Christ at a Christian businessman's meeting in 1834. Pam, at a revival meeting in Charlotte, converted, uh, was the preacher that was, uh, was preaching when Billy Graham was converted. I say that because how many lives did Edward Kimball impact? you know what he did? He was a Sunday school teacher. He led a shoe salesman to Jesus Christ. From that, you have Billy Graham. Billy Graham gave an illustration once of James chapter uh, 1, about looking in the mirror at the word. Which I believe also parallels with looking at the glorified Jesus. When you look in the mirror, man, let me just say this as kindly as I can. This is to men. When you look in the mirror, you want to see the eyes of your wife. You want to know that the body that God gave you is in those eyes. You want to turn your wife into Jesus Christ. You want to make her pure. It'll help. Um, Billy Graham says when you look at the Word of God, there's an illustration. He says, you know, if I look at the Word of God like a mirror, that mirror is on this wall. I look pretty good from this distance. You know, I probably look good for you, you know. I probably look better to you than than if you were here. But as you get closer to the mirror, you start to see imperfections, right? I would see the wrinkles, and I'll see. So Billy Graham's talking, and he says, you know, I've been walking with the Lord so much that I see so many imperfections in my life. You know, and everybody looks at him as a holy, you know, Gosh, he's a man of God. But you know, in your heart, when you get close to God, you're comparing yourself to Jesus. You want to be like Christ. You'll see all the sin because you're closer to him. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you, you want to be like Jesus. And the Bible says that you're changed from glory to glory by the Holy Spirit. And I love that. I love that the fact that it's, it's Jesus Christ that came and lived the perfect life on this earth. And he wants us to look in the mirror and see him become like him. We're, change, we're going to be changed into his image. All right, number five, the plan of God. When you're being changed into his image, I hope, hope that made sense because I, I really feel that like that was a blessing to me and hopefully to you. Number five, you get the person, the permission, the preparation, the presentation of Jesus, and then God... Gives you a plan for your life. And uh, I don't need that one anymore. Let's read verse 19. It says, Paul is giving his testimony and he's giving it to, personally, I believe, King Agrippa. So King Agrippa, verse 19 says, I did not... This proved disobedient to the heavenly vision. I kept declaring both to those in Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying, both to small and great, stating nothing but the pro- what the prophets and Moses said, going, was going to take place that the Christ was to suffer. That by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light to both the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's going to be the first to proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. He's given a mission. He's given a purpose. He's given a plan. Don't you love that? Weren't you given a purpose when you came to Christ? Weren't you given a plan? Isn't God using your life? I tell you, in Florida... I'm watching so many, so many miracles take place. Not only in my family, but in the, uh, the family of our church. And my son-in-law, for instance, is, uh, is uh, the IT guy for the uh, Melbourne Calvary uh, Chapel. And, um, the work that he's doing is allowing the presentation that's at the pulpit to be transferred to other places in the state. Orlando, Sebastian, and Vieira. And, and the uh, buildings are being paid for, and the school buildings are being paid for. And God's doing amazing things through the pastor, through the body. God puts a plan in your life, he wants to, uh, in this particular case, he he told Paul to preach. When you start to tell people about Jesus in your testimony, I know I did, I, I told everybody, I told my parents. I told my uh, my brothers and sisters. I, I told everyone I worked for. I was I was uh, painting. I'm a painter, and uh, you know, not only did I tell Steve in the cafeteria that ho- uh, hospital, but uh, you know, any side job I'd have, doctors in Fort Lauderdale, because I was in the hospital, I'd witness to them. I'd tell them about Jesus Christ. I had like a captive audience. I, you know, I know what you, I, I know I didn't get their permission, but a lot of times I was just scattering seed because I was so full of, of God. That's what happened to Paul. He just was so full of the Spirit because he couldn't believe that God would save a wretch like me or a wretch like him. And what happens? He gets persecuted. For this reason, the Jews start seizing me in the temple and want to put me to death. Are you getting persecuted at all in your Christian walk? Let me tell you something. If you're not being persecuted in your Christian walk, you're going the same way as the devil. You've got to be going upstream. You've got to go against the culture. If you're not receiving persecution, there's something wrong. My brothers and sisters have... Pretty much not allowed me in their family. There's persecution. So for me, as a Christian for 30 years, I've been given... The opportunity to teach. I've been given the opportunity to lead men's groups, uh, couples groups, watching my, my kids, my three children grow in Christ. And, um, the Bible says in Third John verse 4 that I have no greater joy than seeing my children walking in the truth. Um, I love being at Regen, and, and uh, I ask you to pray for Pastor Albert and, and uh, his whole body here. It's, uh, it's doing a great work in Oakland. I was over at the, uh, the auditorium this morning. I, I decided to come early, and um, you know, I, I'm walking across the street, and there's a, a guy with a big white beard and an overcoat, and he's kind of huddled up like this and walking. And so I'm crossing the street and I said, hey, are you going to church? Because I'm pointing at the Regent. He goes, no, I'm going to church down here. Uh, oh, yeah. So I walk. I said, oh, yeah, what's your name? I said, Frank. I said, I'm Jim. We start walking. He takes me to this, uh, we got an auditorium over here. They're serving coffee and uh, pastries. And there's about... Uh, 50 to 100, no, 70, 70 people there. 50 to 70 people there, and they're all, you know, um, down and out, maybe. Um, but it's a great work. I, I went into the backyard, I took a picture of the sunflower that Daphne has growing there, and I sent it to my wife. I said, look what's in the, in the garden. It's about 15 feet tall. We've got a great place here. Regeneration generation is going to be blessed by God. I believe that he's bringing people to this body to, for a work in Oakland. You know the Oakland's the fourth most dangerous place? I thought it was fifth. <laughs> But as I'm leaving the uh, the uh, ministry this morning, Craig's over there, and he's preaching. I'll tell you how great God is. Uh, he's talking to his people about how uh, faith without works is dead and how he went into a grocery store, and he did something very kind, and the lady came up and put his arm, her arm on him and said, You're a Christian, aren't you? Yeah. So it uh, blessed me, too. So I... Uh, um, I'm listening to him speak, and, I'm, and all these people are going, ah, yeah, I'd like to say something like that. And he says, you know what? Every week, we have people that come up and give a testimony. And I go, whoa. So I raise my hand, just a few hands. I raise my hand, and he comes to me, and I said, if these people go across the street, if you want to come across the street, I'm teaching on how to give a testimony this morning. I thought, wow, isn't God amazing? So I'm leaving. I got my little cup of coffee in my hand, and there's this little do- door there, and there's maybe five or six Chinese people there. And they have a Chinese service over here. So I meet Pastor Jack. But Pastor Jack starts talking, I start talking, and he talks to me. I say, is there persecution over in China? And, I'm, and uh, he goes, not in Shanghai. And, and I didn't know what he meant, Shanghai. You know, he, start, he said it in such a way that I'm thinking, I, I don't know where that is. think thinking it's a small town. But Shanghai, it's the largest city in the world. Shanghai. So uh, uh, I go, uh, what happens there? He goes, there's so many seats. And I felt, oh, wow, in China? He says, yes. I go, the same in uh, Beijing? He said, yes. And he goes, Brooklyn. And I'm going to tell you what he honestly said. Oakland is the fourth most dangerous city in the world my wife was robbed he's telling me this in you know his Chinese and he goes Chinese people don't like the black people so I go um, what happened she got her purse stolen man had a knife cut her finger so I said let's pray So <laughs> we prayed and uh, I prayed for him, and then I said, hey, I'm preaching across the street. And he prayed for me. But I'm telling you, the body of Christ is so rich in this area. Now, you don't know what you have here. I believe that God is really going to bless this area. And, 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 you know, when you have a plan, when God has a plan, he takes you across country to give a message like this, believe me. I don't preach. I, I, I'm a painter and a wallpaper guy. I teach small groups. I like that. But when, when Pastor uh, Albert said, can you preach? I had been thinking about Acts 26 for over a month, and I would really like to study it. But I'm reading through the Bible, but I haven't no time to study it. And he says, I said, yeah. So I, I you know, God's amazing. Don't be afraid. This is your mission field. Be encouraged. That's why I'm here. Be encouraged. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, let's finish this up. The sixth element, sixth key ingredient, making the batter. You got the person, you got the permission, you got the preparation. I've prepared your heart. God presented you Jesus Christ, and you accepted it. He's given you a plan. Your testimony start and unfold. Next P is passion. You need to have a passion for lost souls. And let me show you what happens here. That this is this is pretty powerful because Agrippa is listening to Paul, and he's pretty much focused in on Agrippa. There's a lot of other people here. The pomp, the, the elegance, the arches, the beautiful splendor of this tribunal. Paul is, I believe, right there on on uh, King Agrippa. And I think he could have gone on more. Verse. Uh, 23, but look what happens in verse 24. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus, that's a good name for him, Festus, like an infection, Festus. Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul's passion comes out. He goes, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters. I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for they haven't been done in a corner. King Agrippa, you know what happened. Jesus was born under your grandfather. Jesus was crucified under your aunt, uncle. Your, under your uncle, you know, James was beheaded under your father. You know it's not happening in the corner. King Agrippa, you know what I'm telling is true. He's a, can you picture the passion here? You're crazy, Paul, coming from the governor. A 30-year-old hotshot. Festus just got promoted. Felix went to Rome. Drusilla went to Rome, his wife. They got promoted. Festus is getting in good with the politicians now. He's, he's gotten big kahuna to come to his city to listen to, hey, this is going to be great. Let's have a show. Festus thinks he's going to have some political points here. But he becomes a tool of Satan. King Agrippa, you believe in the prophets, don't you? I know you do. Agrippa replies to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. I'm telling you, there's no more heartbreaking words than that. He might have become a Christian. I believe if Festus didn't pop up, the world pops up with these crazy... Let me just finish the reading and then I'll get into what I want to say here. Paul's passion comes out in verse 29. I wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day, even in this auditorium, might become as I am, except for these chains. It's good words and a testimony. You've got to have a passion for that person's soul. I don't care if he's the most evil person in the world. Who's Paul talking to? He's still a lost soul as long as he's alive. Let me tell you, this world is going in the wrong direction. It's been going in the wrong direction for a long time, but it's definitely going in the wrong direction quicker. Did you agree with me? Amen. 250 years ago, Christianity is the most ridiculous, most absurd, bloody religion that has ever infected the world. Voltaire. 50 years ago, American atheist president, Madeline Murray O'Hare, said, there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell, there are no angels, when you die, you go into the ground, and the worms eat you. In 1963, she won a Supreme Court case to get Bible reading and prayer out of schools. This vicious woman was used by Satan to take prayer out of the American public schools. Bible reading. Now, you might not think that's a big deal. I think it's a big deal. I'm a little older maybe than you. But I've seen the country. Number one problems in the 40s were running in the hall, chewing gum in class, littering. You know what the number one problems today are? Drug abuse, alcohol, sexual rapes, suicides, adult sins. You now we got people in our culture... Just like Festus. You know, they come, in, they come against Christians. You know, there's a person named Chris Matthews, for instance. He's on, um, I saw him on uh, Breitbart. I, I, I look at all the news. I'm looking at Breitbart. And there's a little clip. And, and he calls Christians culturally backward. Christians are culturally backward? Who is this guy? Bill Maher. This is this quote from Bill Maher. Christians have neurological disorders that stop people from thinking. This guy's a comedian. Apparently successful. You've got a Festus... And you've got a Bernice. And you got Agrippa. Here's Agrippa. He's heard the gospel. You've got the one side being the world, the Festus, saying, you're crazy. The world tells you that. Though. The, the, you know, the, the Christians are crazy. The Christians are culturally backward. The Christians are, they don't think anymore. They don't, you know, that's the world. But then on the other side, you have the Bernices. I hope there's no Bernices in here, but she's going to rep that word, that Bernice word, is going to represent the sin of Agrippa. He's got look at Paul and admit that he's in the world and he has his sister as his wife, pretty much. It's an incestuous relationship. That's representing his sin. Look, in the world today, you're going to talk to people. I'll be talking to people with the same issues. You've got to have a passion to say no. What's drawing them away from Jesus Christ is this constant barrage of we're crazy. Yeah, you believe in creation. You're crazy. We evolved from monkeys. (laughs) What? I'm going to believe I'm a piece of slime. I'm going to teach my kids we are a piece of slime. Get out of it. We're created in the image of God. Don't take that. You're a Christian. You know, Festuses are all over the place. Don't take the infection. Her nieces are all over the place. Men, get off the internet. Love your wife. When you look in the mirror, love your wife. That's why he gave you your wife. Be pure. God, we need pure men today. People like Festus are going to keep people from Christ. And I'm telling you, if you're not a believer tonight, are two people types of people in this audience and that's there's believers and there's unbelievers and usually in every case some people in here that have never given their life to christ i'm going to tell you something there's one more p in this i'm going to show you what happens it's not even in the verse let's read the last three verses the king stood up in the governor and bernice and those who were sitting with them and when they had gone aside they began talking to one another saying this man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment And Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Missing in all of this pomp and circumstance of the day is what I believe to be the most important key, person, important part of this. You have the person, permission, preparation, presentation, plan, passion. Think about it. What would Paul be doing for two years in jail? What would you be doing? What would Paul be doing one month before he's supposedly going to, he's going to, oh yeah, you're going to meet Agrippa. What do you think he's doing for that month? What would you be doing? About a week. One week you're going to meet Agrippa. What are you doing? What are you doing the night before? The praying, the praying. P number seven is prayer. The night before this whole episode, the night before this chapter begins, I believe Paul is seeing at that moment when Agrippa gets up and leaves the room. The free will of man. He had, I believe, King Agrippa, to see the truth because of Festus and Bernice. They leave, and it's politics as usual. Take the morality out of out of the government. Send them on to Caesar the last verse in a different way read the last verse and agrippa said the festus this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to caesar who's an authority here god's an authority let's put god in this verse jesus said to paul this might this man might have been set free He didn't listen to festus see what happens satan just twists it. takes this man out of the realm of possibility of salvation and puts him into Now, i'm just going to say this as a prayer is powerful but it doesn't override man's free will i've witnessed many times and i'm sure you have where there's interruptions in the, in the middle of this spiritual battle that we have. You know, the Holy Spirit says, speak to this person. The Holy Spirit says, you know, be kind to that woman. Be helpful to that man. You know, show Christianity to this person. And something happens that, boom, the witness is gone. The telephone rings. Something breaks it up. Satan uses Festus in this case to take a grip of his mind off of everything of that was going on. But in this group, we also have believers and non-believers. We have true Christ followers in this group, and we have hypocrites. For the unbeliever, I want to say that people are praying for you too. God loves you. God loves you. I wants you to stop listening to the world. Don't listen to those festuses. You're not crazy. This is an unbelievable lifestyle. Blessings continue moment by moment. The closer you get to the Lord Jesus, the more power he gives you to love him. Be filled with the Spirit. Stop loving the Bernices. Sin. What a sin do you love? You're an unbeliever. There's something that you love. You know, you might not admit it. You can be set free if you believe the testimony that I'm speaking here today. Is it so hard to believe that God can raise the dead? Look at Romans 9 and 10, 9 and 10. Romans ten nine and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection is part of that. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you want to change your life today, come forward. There's a, there's a bench right here. There's a bench right there. After, you know, do it in your own time. If you want to talk to me, talk to an elder, just come on down and sit here. We're going to have communion. It can be any time. You If you, you know... You don't delay it. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, now is the time. Let me tell you why. You know what happened to Festus? He's 30-year-old, right? Got a great political career. He's dead in less than two years. I don't even know how he died. My wife said, how did he die? I said, I don't know. I can't find it. But he's dead in 62 AD. This happened in 60 AD. Life is just a wisp. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. All right, to the believers. Um, yeah, you be praying for everything that is going on here tonight. You'd be praying. But also, I want to say that there is a difference between Florida and California. Florida, uh, I have to get yellow page ads in my business. Out here, it's a lot of word of mouth. It's about who you know a lot more. And as a Christian, you know Jesus Christ. You have personally had an encounter with the living God of the universe. Let me tell you, and, and, and the, in a way, let me remind you, is a better word, who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of the living God. Jesus came into your life. Jesus is the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it, everything. Jesus is the maker of everything you see and everything that you don't see. He holds it all together. Jesus is the beginning, the end, the the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's the lover of your soul. He knows everything about you. He cares about you. He knows every hair on your head. He is the king of the kings. He's the Lord of the lords. All authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth. Who has more authority? The church? The state, church, has more authority because our leader is Jesus Christ and all authority has been given to him. Jesus is the first to be resurrected from the dead. Jesus is coming back again. It was crazy the other night, uh, the other week, wasn't it? Somebody said Jesus is coming back. What a joke. He was wrong. Obviously, he was wrong. He didn't know the scriptures. Is it so hard to believe God can raise the dead, that God is coming back? One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Your hands here. Hold up your hands here. Hold up your hands. Put them on your knees. One day, those knees are going to kneel. Every knee is going to, confess. every mouth is going to confess. Every knee will bow. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus has made you an ambassador. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, oh, where is it? I'm in 4. Verse 20. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God was making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are ambassadors. Look around you. Every one of these people, every Christian in this, every Christ follower in this room has been given that privilege as an ambassador for Christ. We're in the body of Christ. We all have a testimony. There's a song, I Love to Tell the Story. Some have never heard The message of salvation From God's own holy word What I did this morning That didn't work very well was I read Acts chapter 1 verse 8 To finish this It says You shall receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you You Know that verse? You shall be my witnesses From Jerusalem Judea Samaria The other most parts of the world So I said What's your Jerusalem? And afterward, a girl named Ashley came up, and she said, um, you know, I didn't know what you were talking about because I don't know my geography that well, or something like that. And I said, well, I meant your hometown. And Judy here said Albany, and somebody else, I think was uh, Elaine, said Oakland, and there was a few others. But who, or I'm sorry, what? What's the name of your Jerusalem? What's the name of your hometown? Anybody? What's your hometown? Oakland? How many are from Oakland? How many are from Glenview? I don't know a lot of the different communities. How about Albany? Berkeley? You got a Berkeley? Anybody else from Berkeley? How about any others? San Diego. Where? Dublin. Nice. There's another lady from Florida this morning. Uh, I'm from Florida. Long Bay, Florida. Your hometown, that's your Jerusalem. You're to be a witness there. It's your Judea. It's your Samaria. See what I'm saying? God has called us to be witnesses to the other most parts of the world. Before he comes back, you know, it says that this gospel will be a testimony. And then and the end shall come. Let's love Oakland. Let's love this area. Let's bring people to Christ. Bring them to church. Pastor Albert teaches right through the word. And, and if anyone wants to receive Christ this morning, come on down. There's going to be communion after the service. Um, when they're playing, just remember the elements. Let's pray. Okay, Lord, what a privilege to speak your word to so many listening ears. And I thank you that uh, you made clear in my mind what you needed to make clear. And uh, I just pray that the, uh, the word was not messed up when I tried to deliver it that uh, the hearts will be changed, that your work is continuing, and that uh, in the remainder of this service, Father, that you would have a great impact on what um, this community, this body of believers can do in this city. In Jesus' name, amen.